You are listening to the Deep Energy Literacy Podcast, part of Just Powers, an interdisciplinary and community-engaged network of research projects focused on climate justice issues and socially just approaches to energy transition. I'm Dr. Sheena Wilson, and in this podcast, we explore the idea of deep energy literacy. In this first series, titled Deep Celerities, we begin by investigating questions, issues, challenges, and potentials of solar energy. Specifically, this series will shed light on a solar energy infrastructure project proposed for installation in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada on Treaty 6 territory. This solar project proposed by EPCOR, the municipal utility, for installation at their E.L. Smith water treatment plant has evoked a range of divergent and sometimes unanticipated responses and imaginaries as stakeholders speculate about what futures are possible and preferable at the intersections of energy futures, ecological futures, indigenous futures on land rights, feminist futures, municipal futures, and climate futures, to name but a few. Through a series of interviews that seek to explore these diverse perspectives, we examine both the perceived challenges and potentials of this energy transition project. Focused on deep energy literacy, we look to these conversations for insights into approaches and strategies that have the potential to disrupt power relations and create more just energy futures for all. In this interview, we had the pleasure of speaking with Raquel, also known as Rocky Faro, a retired physician with an interest in fostering connections between healthy communities, healthy environments, and healthy people. Rocky is an active community member and environmental advocate who serves on several boards, including the North Saskatchewan River Valley Conservation Society, the Solar Energy Society of Alberta, the Alberta Environmental Network, and the Solar Power Investment Cooperative of Edmonton, also known as SPICE. As the Director of Sustainability for Riverdale Community League, Rocky is part of a growing movement of sustainability enthusiasts in Edmonton's community leagues. In this interview, we speak to Rocky about the solar farm currently being proposed by EPCOR, a utility company based in Edmonton, Alberta, and slated for installation just south of the existing E.L. Smith water treatment plant in the Edmonton River Valley. Thank you very much for being here, Rocky. So I, uh, I I feel that I know a fair bit about you and can count you among my friends and know some things about your background, but I bet our listeners would like to know a little bit more about you. So can you tell us a bit about your background and who you are and how you became interested in all of these environmental issues and projects? I'm a retired physician and, um, you know, as a physician who happened to treat chronic pain, it can be a bit frustrating Uh trying to, um, getting over the frustration of, of, of just trying to help people one at a time. How can you be a, a little more effective? And so for me, that was how, how can I create, how can I work towards creating healthy environments and connecting people to, um, yeah, thinking about their environment is a really important determinant of their health. So how many years have you been involved in the local environmental movement? Mm, Maybe just 10 or 15. I think I started um, sort of getting outside of myself and into the community through community leagues and the Edmonton Federation of Community Leagues. And then once I sort of started discovering the power of networks, I later then sort of learned to use that network for um, for my own purposes, which is, again, connecting people to 
uh, thinking about healthy environments is an important determinant of, of health. So before getting into the specifics and the potentials and challenges of solar, which you know so much about, I was hoping just to start with some of your general thoughts on this project. I think it's really encouraging that the city of Edmonton and EPCOR are putting so much time and energy into helping with an energy transition. Um, I think EPCOR has a lot of profile in the city of Edmonton, um, and the city itself has uh, what I feel is an excellent energy transition strategy to help guide our energy transition. And um, so I I think the project is a noble one on on one level, but my bottom line is that it misses so many opportunities in terms of... (sighs) thinking what it's really going to take, thinking about um, not just climate change and isolation, but our biodiversity crisis at the same time, thinking about community building, thinking about how solar can really best move us forward as a renewable. What does best benefit the environment? What best benefits the community, what what makes us resilient as communities, What what uh, how many problems can we solve with one solution? And I think community solar is really that. So um, so some specific things that that um, that are upsetting for me in terms of the EPCOR solar farm is that it displaces a beautiful wildlife corridor. So we lose a, a important um, biodiversity area. So this area along the North Saskatchewan River is um, an important wildlife and biodiversity zone, um, as noted by the province. And um, the solar farm itself will be surrounded by a barbed wire fence and displace uh, 50 plus acres of of, um, this beautiful riverside area. And it will create a bit of a choke point for for wildlife. So the location is 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 a very poor one. It's really sort of an I mean, in terms of best practices for for placing solar farms, this is really a no go zone. Yeah. So to have such an ambitious project that that many eyes are sort of focused on, um, I would love to see it done right. There's so much that sort of revolves around this project. I mean, it's an important indigenous area. It's um, interesting archaeologically, it's interesting environmentally, it's interesting from the perspective of solar and how to best do solar. Um, So yeah, community engagement, there's just so many levels of, this project is a very interesting one on many levels. So Rocky, you are a local rock star who's well known for advocating for solar. So I was initially very surprised to hear you had issues with EPCOR's proposal. Um, This was, of course, well before I started learning about the project and its complexities, but I'd love it if you could speak to the ways in which this project is quite different from something like Community Solar or the work you do with SPICE, the Solar Power Investment Cooperative of Edmonton. So, yeah, the... uh, um the reason I'm leaning into the Solar Power Investment Cooperative of Edmonton is because um, I think that there's a sweet spot for solar that has been somewhat neglected to date. Um, there's individuals that are putting solar on their rooftop, and that's great because they can offset their own electricity loads. Um and then there's huge solar farms that can take advantage of economies of scale and, and get the cheapest green electrons onto the grid. 
But then there's another sweet spot that's to date been somewhat neglected, and that's community generation, where you can, um, you know, a community can get together, can locate a site where they can put enough solar to be able to connect to the distribution grid and actually export that solar, uh, that electricity, uh, to generate income and to generate community benefits. The province of Alberta was working on community generation. That fits within um, legislation that was recently passed called small-scale small generation regulation. And that um, allows you to, the, the community generation allows you to generate as much power as can fit on the distribution uh, system. I mean, that gets technically a little bit complicated and, and people could get lost if there's things they don't understand about the grid. So let me just say there's basically like the wires that come into your house and then there's um, the the big transmission wires that come into the system, like the big coal plants feeding into the electricity grid. And then there's more of the distribution system, more of the sort of the network, say, throughout the city. Um, and that distribution system can accommodate local power that people can use locally. So... So the opportunity is to have systems that are, are, are right-sized within communities in um, existing community space, like, say, um, over a carport or over a large roof, like IKEA recently on the south side put in nearly a megawatt of uh, solar on their, their rooftop. Um, it can allow you to find, say, a brownfield site and cover that with solar and and then better utilize that land to the community benefit. What I'm trying to say is there's there's a there's a sweet spot where you can kind of combine everybody's sort of bottom line, um, like the bottom line of how you can make a resilient grid and how you can lower emissions, how you can get more green electrons and renewables into the grid, and how you can benefit the community uh, at the same time. So for me, that, that was the missed opportunity. Here we're covering up really valuable River Valley park space, like the land at the Epcor Solar Farm is currently zoned A, or recreational, metropolitan recreational area. And I I think as our city grows, we we more and more prize and value um, those riparian, those riverside areas that that um, serve as a wildlife corridor and as a recreational area for people to connect to nature. We don't want to lose that. Um, and in in inside of cities, there's so many places that we can uh, sort of improve our utilization of space, like brownfields and rooftops. Right. Do you want to explain to people how uh, brownfields are defined? A, a brownfield is, um, say, an old gas station or um, an old parking lot that's currently for sale. Um, basically, just not a greenfield, not, not farmland, not river valley land. Um, uh, underutilized industrial areas, you might think of brownfields that way. So, so we're, we're losing something with the Epcor solar farm and, and we're not gaining what we could by properly um, 
locating this project. So do you want to explain to us some of the community benefits of the Riverdale Community uh, Solar Project? Okay, well, that I mean, the Riverdale project is more like a rooftop project. That's connected, uh, that's done under micro-generation regulation. And the idea with micro-generation regulation is that you're, you're finding an electricity load, like, say, the electricity requirements of a private residence or a community league, uh, you know, or the electricity requirements of a particular address, and then you're adding solar to that address and, and offsetting your electricity. So you're not doing it with the idea of selling all your electricity to, to the grid. Um, you're doing it with the idea that you're going to lower your own electricity costs. So the benefit in Real- Riverdale of that project is that it's lowering the community league's costs so that they have more money available to do community programming, kids programming, soccer programming, that kind of thing. And then the additional benefit is that it built a shade structure uh, so that, um, I mean, you can build a, sh- a shade structure, but building a sh- shade structure with solar sort of achieves, you know, kills two birds with one stone. So it's an additional amenity for the community league. People use it as a, a place to stage weddings or as a bandstand um, or just as a place to hang out in the shade when you're nearby doing your community garden. You know, it's interesting when you talk about community benefits, the, um, I think the province, the, the, the province recognized the opportunity in community solar and they set up, um, a special program, uh, which is in limbo right now. It's the community generation program and they, they earmarked 200,000, uh, 200 million, sorry, for that program. Uh, and, and they carved out a specific amount of money as well that would be used to help um, the communities most affected by the phase out of the coal plants. Um, and they it sort of earmarked the bulk of, of that money to actually create a stable electricity price for the people that were developing the community solar projects. So um, it's, it's a way of compensating people who are generating electricity onto the grid called um, power purchase agreements, um, or they, they called it a contract for differences. So it's saying, you know, the province is saying, well, we'll give you this exact amount of money for your electricity, you know, over 20 years so that there's a stable price so that, you know, people know what what's ahead. Um, and, and the contract for differences sort of built in a bit of... Um, insurance for the province uh, and for the the developer of the solar project by um, by recognizing that electricity prices may rise so high that this could be, um, you know, more than a fair deal for the developer. And it also realized that it could, could go so low that it, it would be more than a fair deal for the province. So, uh, so opposite way around. But, um, yeah, it was a, a mechan. I think suffice it to say, it was a mechanism for stabilizing the price. But here's the really interesting thing: in that program, um, they um, required the developer of the community um, generation project to actually have a legal agreement with the community to provide community benefits. So, um, community benefit agreements um, are built into that program so that communities, so that it's, um, legally binding and really clear to everybody what the benefits of community solar are. So, so built in, and to me, that's a beautiful thing because it's, it's not just saying, well, the lowest price is the law, you know, the cheapest electrons 
always, it's um, sort of combining everybody's bottom line and saying, well, um, you know, the, this is not just the best project for me, this is the best project for, for the whole community. So in a community benefits agreement, you might say, well, the, the community is going to take ownership, um, the community is going to benefit, or there's going to be an endowment set up for the community from, from the money generated, or, um, you know, the developer is going to build a outdoor ice rink for the community, um, or, you know, basically just, you know, the developer is going to sit down with the community and figure out the best way to do the project for the community. And, um, and then that will be a legally binding agreement. Um, two things that I, th that I was wanting to give you space to explain to people is how does SPICE work in conjunction with that government program, right? Does it, yeah. does it work in conjunction with that government program? First off, that government program was designed and planned to launch uh, through the previous government. So I th it, it may be, it may well be gone at this point. Um, I would trust and hope that the new government is going to do something similar or figure out ways to make it easier to do community generation. But that particular program may may not be a provincial program in the future, but um, Solar Power Investment Cooperative of Edmonton is going to forge ahead um, to, um, you know, sort of with a build it and they will come mentality, um, like, because it is so important. Um, community generation is, is so important. It is the sweet spot for solar. Um, it, you know, you can build into these community benefit agreements things like... Um, fair wages, local hiring. So it's, it's, it's a way to ensure that the projects are not only going to maximize the environmental benefits, but maximize the social benefits um, and the financial benefits for the community. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's too well aligned with SPICE's values. We're a opportunity development cooperative and, um, and, and as a cooperative, we endorse sort of the cooperative values, you know, cooperation amongst cooperatives and um, community benefit. And so, um, you know, we're not uh, just interested in getting more electrons onto the grid. We're interested in unleashing local capital and um, maximizing community benefits. So unleashing local capital for the community. So, um you know, we want to see solar embraced and and community generation is a great way for people to to really clearly, visually, concretely see those benefits. Thank you. That's a great explanation. And I, I really hear in that just the um, the transformation in relationships that can happen when a community owns its own energy cooperative or its own uh, energy source. Yeah. Right? The way it has ripple effects. Um and we live in a province where energy has not really been owned by the people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, it's it, it's interesting. It must be interesting, the conversations that you have with people changing perhaps frames of mind around what our relationships should be or could be to mm -hmm. um, energy systems. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, it traditionally hasn't been owned by the community. Energy has been, you know, large scale, very... Um, very quick, very efficient. I mean, it's done 
uh, you know, we owe it a debt of gratitude. It's done great things for our province, but we're now sort of recognizing the unintended consequences and and paying for the unintended consequences. And um, I think the, you know, a, sort of a just transition or a community transition, you know, uh, where everybody's sort of looking at their um, combining their bottom lines is a way to... Um, you know, it's going to be a bit slower, um, but it's going to be more intentional and thoughtful, and hopefully we'll be able to avoid some of the uh, um, unintended consequences um, that weren't avoided by the fossil fuel industry. Yeah. Yeah, well said. I also wanted to um, just pick up a little bit on this idea that you said that the solar farm proposed by EPGOR is noble in some ways, and you had mentioned energy resilience. And I wondered if you could explain to listeners what it means uh, to have multiple sites of, of energy generation and how that creates energy resilience in a, in a municipality, for example. Mm-hmm. Why is that something people should care about, basically? Yeah, Okay, let me let me so so that I'm not distracted as I try to answer that question. Let me just say that my the point I was trying to make is that it's noble in that they are trying to um, develop their own expertise in terms of renewables. I know um, that EPCOR is very interested in wind energy. Uh, this particular appetite for solar may be a, a little bit limited. I think I've heard them say that that most of their aspirations are, are with wind and and not within the city of Edmonton. But I think they. Um, you know, genuinely wanted to assist the city in moving um, forward on the energy transition targets of producing solar, um, more renewables locally. And I think the city defined the locally as within maybe 40K of the city limits. So, um, you know, this this is um, a way that, that EPCOR um, felt they could move forward. So I think it's noble that they're, that they're, yeah, helping with energy transition, but um, I I don't know if this is the way to make the system most resilient either. Um, I think the um, resiliency of the of an electricity system is kind of a complex thing, and um, I I'm not technically sure myself how to best build a resilient system. So that's like a whole area of expertise. But on a very fundamental level, I think it's um, by sort of having it not all focused, all, all the electricity generation focused in one place um, and to have a bit of redundancy in the system and to have the system a bit distributed Okay, so I'm going to shift gears for a second and ask you a question about this idea of public interest or trade-offs that we hear a lot of. So EPCOR writes on the website that the environment will always be top priority. So they contracted a third-party consultant who has done a number of environmental assessments in order to survey the potential impacts of the project on wildlife, wetlands, soils, vegetation, historical resources, and so on, right? And the Alberta Utilities Commission reviewed EPCOR's application through a public process that determined the project is in the public interest, having regard to the social, economic, and other effects of the project, including its effect on the environment. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about this type of assessment and review process and how we understand public interest, how we trade off social, economic, and environmental benefits. Yeah. 
Well, that's a big mess because, I mean, really, I mean, I looked at what, what, of course, submitted to AUC and I looked at AUC's decision and really there's there's a lot of spin and sort of spun misinformation that, that went into their application in the first place. Um, I, I, it's not that I'm nervous about dissing EPCOR because I think they were really sort of disingenuous on a few fronts, and I don't mind saying that publicly. Um, they, you know, for example, they when they presented to AUC for um, permissions, they said that the, the land was already fenced. So it sort of sounded like, well, this is already land that's out of circulation and not a public amenity. But, you know, in fact... Um, you can walk down the, the the valley break into this land um, unimpeded. There is a, a, a low um, fence that, that is not a barrier for wildlife that's down towards the river. Um, and there's a bit of fence on the south end. But, um, you know, some fence on the property does not equate the property being fenced. So, um, you know, also, they also made it sound like this property wasn't used. And yet, you know, there's cross country skiing in the winter, there's bicyclists, um, there's wildlife, there's, I mean, if you go down on the land, there's evidence um, of, of quite a bit of wildlife browse, there's quite a bit of evidence of porcupine and other um, animals, there's moose in the area. So, um, you know, I, I mean, the, the, it was presented sort of as, um, you know, as a bit of a wasteland um, that it, it had previously been um, hayed. And, and, and this is true, but um, there is, um, you know, I think that only speaks to, you know, this being good soil and good riparian land. And um, the land is, is just beautiful. There's, you know, mature forest, you know, that's you know, pioneer species, you know, like the, the poplars and, and the and the different trees that love to sucker are working their are heartily working their way back into this field. And there's copses of trees on this land. Um, well over five uh, hectares, I think it is, maybe acres of of, of trees that would have to be cut down to accommodate this solar farm. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's like, I mean, it's kind of, um, yeah, almost laughable, to, you know, the idea of, of, of cutting down trees that are sequestering carbon to put in a solar farm. Um, but, you know, so I can understand sort of how, you know, it, yeah, I think the whole process was a bit of spin. So, um, and and it and it's not done. I know they're having difficulties with their compliance. Um, th th you know, they've looked at doing this as one 10, uh, 12 megawatt project, and um, they weren't compliant with the regulations, with the electricity regulations. So now they're trying to apply as as under um, a different regulation, which is the microgen regulation, which allows you to have under five megawatts of power. So they've gone down to two five megawatt projects um, and and then uh, realized that wouldn't be compliant. So now they're applying under a different regulation called the municipal um, generation regulation. And um, for that, it has to be owned. The land has to be owned by the municipality and, and build it as a municipality. So I, I can't see them complying under that either. So... Um, yeah, all the you're talking about all the compliance stuff, and um, that's just a mess. So maybe the more important question is is how how does community get together and and make decisions for what's best for community? And 
hey, on that, I know we, you know, Epcor, um, I mean, they're, they're doing what they're doing, um, you know, in their own best interests, and they're doing it well. They're, you know, being a bit aggressive and, you know, their, their applications, you know, include spin. That happens. Understandable. I think they themselves recognize, like we met with them, um, like they're, they've been very um, communicative, very transparent um, otherwise and, and have, you know, anytime we want to meet with them, they meet with us and, and at our, at our last meeting with them, which was just before the public hearing, you know, they agreed that the community consultation was a big missed opportunity, um, that they hadn't really met with, uh, local, um, water people, um, they hadn't met with local solar people. They hadn't really met with the community to look at, um, at, at different ways to do this project that might be a, a bigger community win. The converse, so the question you're asking about is how, how does community consultation happen or how do people... I guess what I'm also what I'm asking too is how how do we need to shift the way we value things? Mm. So they've determined this is in the public interest by valuing certain aspects of the land or certain issues or focusing on different things. And how do we need to shift our perspective? How would, for example, um, a community solar project have a different perspective on, you know, sure. land and space and relationships? What, what what kinds of changes do we need to think through? Uh, okay. Well, my, my mind automatically goes to looking at um, sort of community benefits, um, as a movement, because that kind of approach really encourages sitting down with the community early in a robust way, like helping the community to form a really broad-based coalition um, and, and really think about their needs and come to the table in a really robust way. Like, um, and there's a lot of research that has gone into um, – Finding ways to enhance community consultation. The city of Edmonton has documents that um, has has done a lot of work with the university on how to enhance citizen consultation and um, law centers, um, academic institutions everywhere. Um, labor movements have done a lot of work on how to build um, better community engagement early on. So I think it's a it's. A, it's a growing, a growing movement um, with more and more people giving thought about how to do it right. And um, I think uh, a lot of good can come out of it. Um, you know, I mean, say, let's think concretely through EPCOR's process. Had they done really robust consultation, if they had started with partnerships, partnerships in the solar industry, I think it would have um, assisted them on their own learning curve. Um, it would have reduced resistance because it would have been, uh, they would have recognized how how strongly people value the River Valley and they would have, um, you know, if they had been working with the city's um, uh, office of natural areas and the Office of Biodiversity, they would have recognized the value of this space. Um, you know, they could have reconsidered location and, and exactly how they're going about things. You know, I think they could have had experts working with them that could have helped them on the compliance end of things. I think quite a bit about uh, 
deep energy literacy, which I feel in some ways is an academic term for the kinds of things you articulate and that you do every day in the community, the way you're thinking about what it means to be part of a community cooperative project in which there are community benefits. And so when I hear you talking about how the process could have gone differently or been done differently, what I also hear you saying is that not all the... uh, appropriate voices or all the needed voices are at the table. So I'm just wondering what voices uh, aren't being heard, what voices are being silenced? Um, How do we get out of these same habits and practices that have caused the types of power dynamics and mistakes that we see already existing in the current climate conundrum that we're in because we overly value one thing and we don't value another. So I'm just interested to hear who you think, who you think should be at the table and what knowledges need to be at the table. Cause somebody's, somebody's uh, vacant land, terra nullius is somebody else's oh, space. Yeah. This is like the foundational principle of colonization, right? So there's just very, you know, you hear uh, empty field uh, thrown around a lot around these things. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah. one person's empty field is not every person's empty field or every species empty field, right? Yeah. Yeah, what's the, uh, well, I guess for top of mind is better together. I mean, that just sort of makes sense is, is the more we all work together, the the, the better the outcomes. Um, so, yeah, and, and then I'm sort of thinking as you're asking the question, oh, you, oh you, um, that's a lot. That's a lot of questions. So I guess you have to keep asking that question over and over and keep asking everyone over and over. And then I sort of think in terms of, well, yeah, what what was the root cause problem? And I think it was that, you know, yeah, they started with we want to get from point A to point B um, and we want to get there as fast as possible. So what's the most efficient, you know, what's the best for our bottom line? Um, yeah, if you take a corporate perspective, you know, what's best for our bottom line, I just, yeah, there's just so many missed opportunities. And, um, so I don't know, let's throw corporate reform in as a, as a way to enhance, um, sort of the, yeah, who needs to be at the table conversation. Cause yeah, I think as many, as many sort of bottom lines as you can combine, the better the outcomes are going to be. They might be slower, but I think, yeah, we really have to move away from thinking what's what's the most efficient because we have to think, well, efficient for whom? You know, what's the most, you know, we have to get away from scaling up like um, and always thinking that things have to be, yeah, we have to get out of that frame of what's best for business and, and get into the frame of what's best for community, I guess, bottom line. Well said, well said. Another way to ask the question, I suppose, would be that you had some ideas about where a better placement would be. And if you were to begin a consultation about another location, who would you invite to the table? Which voices would you want to hear? Or which voices do you hear from when Spice is setting up a a solar project? Yeah. Spice is um, still building our own internal capacity. Um, So we're already working with community to look at specific projects. Um, but we're still a sort of, um, crossing the T's and dotting the I's in terms of, um, ensuring that we're as best set up for the future as possible so that we can take advantage of, of, um, economic development tax credits and, and, um, that we can, um, 
offer in investments that are RRSP eligible. Um, so we still have a bit of work to do. So I'd say we're still, you know, a year away from, from concretely working with communities. Um, and we're still researching how to set the table, um, how, how to um, ensure that projects are done as, as best possible. And so um, we're experimenting with just that question. Um, we want to, um, there's a solar project that you're involved with um, at the La Cité yeah, so, yeah. Francophone. And um, yeah, we want to do some sort of design charrettes there of, you know, how, how you know, who is the community? Um, who isn't at the table? Who else should be at the table? And um, what does the community want out of, um, out of a project? What are the, the multiple wins? Um, what is the best way forward? Um, so yeah, we're, we're looking at that question. I think we're going to keep asking ourselves that question. How do you make sure all the all the necessary voices are involved? Because, yeah, like, I mean, I like to think of climate change not as a problem to be solved, but as something that happens if you don't solve problems collectively. Um, like, climate change is an unintended consequence of the fact that we – you know, we're too quick to get too much energy from fossil fuels. Um, and we didn't, yeah, we weren't asking ourselves the right questions. We weren't saying how can we have um, a life of right relationship and um, community abundance. We were saying how can we kind of get rich quick. And so it's really how the just transition piece is really how we approach problems, um, how, how we solve problems collectively, uh, thinking, you know, realizing that th the world is a complex, dynamic system and, and you know, there's, there's all these, you know, positive feedback loops and, and negative feedback loops. And if we don't move together with everybody's best interest in mind, and if we don't move together and spend enough time thinking and observing and, and uh, recognizing the sort of early warning signs of maybe an unintended negative feedback loop, um, yeah, we'll end up in just the same mess all over again, but it will look a little different. So for me, when you say just transition, that means a transition that's good for everyone. When SPICE takes off and many communities start having community-generated solar that has community benefits, what does our city look like? What, what do our communities look like? How, how does that transform the future? Mm -hmm. Although we're called Solar Power Investment Cooperative of Edmonton, really we're looking at um, energy efficiency and solar and 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 good housing you know it's all that's all within our purview so we are an investment cooperative i mean what we're going to be doing is um sort of making this work more sustainable by helping people pull their money and and get you know and hold the value of their money so we're an investment cooperative we're also going to be working with developers of projects and developing projects and keeping the community benefits front of mind as we proceed. So we're, um, yeah, working, I th you know, I think we're just trying to pile up the wins as much as possible. Um, and, um, 
yeah, when you work within community, looking at energy efficiency and conservation and renewables and thinking about um, trying to maximize community benefits, um, I think you're starting to ask some of those right questions. Um, so what is the future we see is, uh, I don't know how to answer that. Because, man, that's like you could really dive into that question. But, I mean, we're seeing less emissions. We're seeing... Um, it, more democracy. We're seeing people more empowered to have a say in what they want their communities to look like. Um, we're seeing, um, yeah, people sort of looking to community as a source of a, abundance and wealth and safety. Um, we're, we're looking more at um, working together and learning how to work together. Uh, we're looking more at how to talk to each other. And um, I... Um, well, you, you ask these big questions. <laughs> I'm all about the big questions. And to bring the interview full circle, I'm just wondering how does, how does that future fit with the kinds of work you've been doing your whole life around trying to make for healthier communities? Oi. Healthier people, really. Oh, that's a real good question. I'll be giving that some thought. Oh, <laughs> 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 um, it's, uh, you know, it's my own journey has been an interesting one because, you know, I grew up in the, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and yeah, I think I grew up believing in, in, um, in the power of the individual, but in a negative way, um, thinking that, um, you know, believing in the self-made man and underappreciating, um, underappreciating what I see now, and that is that, you know, every opportunity I have, you know, every gift I have, you know, every good feeling I have has come from the community, um, the important things I've learned from the community, important supports I've had from the community. What does that have to do with the work I do now? Mm, I think just, yeah, learning more about community and what does that mean and and what is health what what is health and what is healthy community and the we're all so interconnected i think is what i hear you saying too right oh yeah i think as i get older and and spend more time in nature uh yeah i think more about um yeah i think less linearly i think more about how dynamic and complex the world is and how, you know, I know nothing and don't even know what I don't know and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, and I see the the beauty in not knowing and see the beauty in complexity and just believe more and more in, in connections and, and benefiting from connections. Well, thank you very much, Rocky, and thank you for all the work you do in all of our communities. For more information on the Solar Power Investment Cooperative of Edmonton, visit joinspice.ca. Thank you for listening to the Deep Energy Literacy Podcast. Be sure to visit justpowers.ca to learn more about these issues, access resources, and discover related content. Just Powers is made possible by support from the University of Alberta's Future Energy Systems Canada First Research Excellence Fund, the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, the Cool Institute of Advanced Study, and Campus Saint-Jean. This series of the Deep Energy Literacy Podcast is produced by Jesse Beyer and engineered by Catlin W. Cusick.